starting a new series today called Pulse Check, where we are going to talk about what does it mean to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. And anytime we start a new series, what is the best way to start a new series? With a new joke. So once upon a time, there was a lady who had three sons. And then all of a sudden, her husband died. So she was a widow. And her three sons, who were all very, very well-to-do, very rich sons, very successful, they wanted to cheer mom up. So they said, we need to do whatever it takes to cheer mom up because it's not right that we just kind of leave her since dad left. So they said, we need to cheer her up. And each one came up with a different idea of how to do it. So the first son said, you know what? When mom needs, she needs to get out of that house that she's in. We need to get her a new place. So he was very rich. So he built her a custom-made house, a mansion just for her. You know, one of the big, you know, spent like $5 million on it. And it's got like, you know, four car garage. And then it's got like the showers with the nozzles that are coming everywhere. Okay, she can shower in any different room that she wants. And it's, it's just this huge home. He said, that's what's going to make mom happy. The second, bro- the, the second brother said, you don't know anything about mom. Mom doesn't like to stay home in a big house. Mom likes to be out and about on the town, but she's old and she- dad used to drive her. So he spent his money. And he bought a fancy schmancy limousine, a very comfortable one, along with a driver. So this way mom could go anywhere that she wants. And he spent like a half a million dollars on the the limo and then with the driver and the service and the drinks inside. Not those kind of drinks, but the drinks inside that she mom would like. And he said, this is going to make mom happy. The third brother said, you guy, you don't know mom, nothing about mom. Mom doesn't care about any of those things. Mom is spiritual and mom loves to read the Bible. But mom can't because her eyes, she can't see anymore. So this brother went and found a parrot, a missionary parrot that was raised in the jungles of of somewhere, okay, the Amazon jungle somewhere, and was taught by the missionaries to recite the entire Bible. This parrot, all you needed to say was the reference, you know, John 1.18, and that thing would spout it out. So this parrot could read the entire Bible for the mom. The kid spent like $100,000 on this parrot. <clears throat> they give the mom the three gifts. They come back a week later. They say, how's it going, mom? How you doing? And the mom was not. And the first son said, mom, did you like the house that I got you? I spent all that money on that house. And the mom said, it was very kind of you, but it was so big. I kept getting lost. I didn't know where anything was. And there was this smell. I think the dog pooped somewhere in the house and I couldn't find it. So I couldn't get rid of the smell. So I sold it. He said, you sold the house? He said, yeah, I found some guy. He paid me $10,000 and I gave him the house. He said, oh my goodness. The second son came and said, mom, did you like the gift with the car? And she said, I appreciate it, but that driver was so rude. Okay, and he kept playing the music with the hip hop or whatever it was and it gave me a headache. So I found my neighbor said she could use it. So she gave me a hundred bucks and I let her have it. And he said, oh my goodness, mom, a hundred bucks. Then the third son said, mom, did you like my gift? She said, I loved your gift. Your gift was the best gift. He said, really, mom, you loved the gift? You loved the parrot? She said, yeah, it was delicious. (laughs) Nothing is worse Stay with me here. Nothing is worse than when you spend a lot of money, you pay a lot of investment for something that the other person squanders. Do you agree with me? 
We're starting a new series today called Pulse Check. We are going to examine our views towards the greatest gift that God gave to us, other than his son, the greatest gift that God gave to us, something he paid a very high price for, is the church. And we are going to examine. We want to make sure that we don't want to be like that lady who undervalues and underappreciates something that God spent a very high price tag to give us. And in case you're wondering what the price tag is on the church, the scriptures actually tell us exactly how much the church cost in numbers, well not numbers, but it gives us a, a specific price. Acts 20 verse 28 says, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So in case you ever wonder how much the church cost to put on this earth, like, like, like we said, we're building a church over there in Sherlington. It's going to cost millions and millions of dollars. But I'll tell you, something even more expensive than that building is the church, which costs price tag, blood of Christ. And we want to talk about today, what does it mean to value and appreciate that church, given that it would cost so much to our Savior. Let me ask you a question. If you were stopped on the street today and someone said, what is the church? How would you answer you walked out of here, people know, okay, this is a university right here. People on the other side of the screen, you're in a senior center over there. So people would make know that we are a church and we're meeting in different places. And you walk out and someone says, what is the church? You ever thought about how you'd answer? Someone who doesn't go to church, someone who doesn't understand church, someone who just showed up from the moon and you say church is very important. They say, okay, what is it? Would you say is church just something that you do when you have some free time? Church is just something that you do when the weather's nice. Okay, it's something that we do on Sundays when the weather's nice and we don't have commitments, but sometimes, you know, or church is just something that we do for our kids, something for our kids, teach our kids to be nice and behave and all that stuff that the church teaches. Hopefully, we don't want to teach our kids that, so let the church do the job of teaching them. Is that what church is? Or is church more? And I got to be honest, the answer to this question, what you say with your mouth isn't really as important to me as what someone who never heard you speak, what your life would say what your actions would say, what your schedule would say, what your pocketbook would say, what your relationships would say about the church. And this answer to this question of what is the church, truthfully, the answer today is different than it would have been two years ago for many people. Ever since COVID, COVID was one of those things that like, it's an inflection point in the history of so many different things, okay? Kind of like 9-11 is we'll get past it, but the world will never be the same. There'll always be the remnant of it. And specifically when it comes to church, Many people changed their view of church during the time of COVID because we, for two years, heard people tell us, stay home, don't need to go to church, doesn't matter, we'll just, we'll give you church in your home, just don't come here, just don't come here, stay over there. And you know what? The, the, the scary thing is, is that some people, they did it. And they say, yeah, you're right, church isn't a necessary. There's no difference if I go to church once a month or twice a month or every week or on the computer or on the virtual. And a lot of people, a lot of people, COVID became that inflection point. And some people in a major way and some people in a more subtle way. The major way would be the people who lost all the momentum, okay? And you were in the momentum of you were coming to church weekly and you were there on a weekly basis and you knew the people and it was weekly, weekly, weekly. And then all of a sudden it was stop. And you know this from science class, inertia, an object in, 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 at rest stays at rest. And some of us in our church life, we are at rest. And it takes a big effort to get us out of rest and a big push to get us. And then we get there one week and then, uh, and then we go back. And then it takes a big effort versus the thing that was rolling before. Some of us got used to something called, I, I don't even know, like I'm gonna read this term. I put it in quotes right here. It's called Sunday brunch. 
And some of us got very happy with Sunday brunch. I don't know what Sunday brunch is. I would never raise to have Sunday brunch. Sunday brunch is something that people who don't go to church, who aren't members of the eternal body of Christ, talk about Sunday brunch. But us in the church, we're no such thing as Sunday brunch. Some people, their connection lost in a little bit more subtle way is they still come to church, but maybe you don't come as early. Maybe you don't stay till the end. Maybe you used to volunteer, but you don't volunteer as much. Maybe you used to do all the activities, the midweek stuff, but now you're just like, is it virtual? Like anytime someone says something, is it virtual? Is there a virtual? Like no matter what it is, like we're gonna, is it virtual? We're gonna have barbecue. Is it virtual? Like it just, you're virtual. Everything you want virtual. And what happened is the church used to be our home used to be our family, and then it just became like anywhere else. It became like, like the coffee shop that we visit. When we want coffee, we go. And when we don't want coffee, we stay home. Or the gym. When we want to work out, we go. But there's no ownership. I don't own the gym. Okay, we've adopted a consumeristic mindset. What's in it for me? And why should I? And what difference does it make? And I would say that culture, society today, is the least attached it's ever been to church. And the statistics will tell you the same thing. And you go talk, okay, find a group of pastors or priests. Okay, and this is all. I was just talking to a priest the other night on the phone. And everyone sings the same song and, and same thing. Is that it hadn't been the same since COVID. It hadn't been the same since COVID. It hadn't been the same since COVID. Society today is, l- is less attached to church than it's ever been. That's a fact. All the statistics say so. But let me tell you what else society is. Society is more depressed than it's ever been. Society has a lower satisfaction in marriage than it's ever been before. Society has a higher rate of suicide, especially among youth, than ever before. You may disagree with me, but I think they're correlated. I think the connection to the church is directly correlated with the connection with the statistics that show the low quality and satisfaction of life because being part of the church is more than we think. And if you were to go to someone like St. Paul. And I say, St. Paul, what is the church to you? You are a smart guy. You wrote a lot of the Bible. What is the church to you? You know what he would say? He would say, it's more than you realize. It's more than you think. I think he'd say this verse, Ephesians chapter one, verse 22 and 23. He says, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which first is his body. And then he gives this great expression. It is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The one who fills all in all, all things cannot contain him. The fullness of him who cannot be contained is found where? In the church. Not in the bricks, not in the the wall, not in the carpet, but in the church. We'll talk about the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, sometimes you may hear this say that Christ, you know, was born of a virgin, lived on earth, and he died, he rose, then he ascended, and now Christ lives in heaven, okay? And Christ lives in heaven. And I'm not against that Christ lives in heaven, that's, that's great. But I want to say that Christ also lives on earth. Christ doesn't just live in heaven. Christ lives on earth because his body, does anyone here, if your body exists in a place, can your body exist separate from your head? If the body of Christ is here, then Christ is here in our midst. And we as the church, You cannot separate the church from Christ, the head from the body. Like tell you another way. Think of it like when we participate, okay, every church, every every small C church, okay, every little church, every little church parish. Think of it like when we take communion. Every time we take communion, you have one piece of bread 
and it's broken into many different pieces. Every piece of the bread is exactly the same. Some may be big, some may be small. Some may be overcooked, some may be undercooked. Some may have a little extra salt, some may have a little less salt. Like, doesn't matter. It's all the same. Every piece is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Someone doesn't come and say, oh yeah, today I got communion. I got a good communion today. Oh, I got a bad communion. It's communion. It doesn't matter. The smallest piece, that's why we don't say crumbs. We say jewels because every piece is precious. Well, it's the same thing with the church. You got a big church and a big cathedral. You got a dinky little church here in a little law school. You got a church over there in a senior center. You got a church on the moon. I don't care where the church is. If it is the church, if it's big, if it's small, if it's rich, it's just poor. The coffee's good or the coffee's stale. It's still the fullness of him who fails all in all. And the word for that, okay, the fancy church word is the word theanthropic. Say that with me. Say theanthropic. Theanthropic means embodying deity in human form. Theanthropic comes from two words, theos and anthropos. Let's see who knows their Greek. Theos means what? God, that's easy. Theology, study of God. Theos. Anthropos means what? Man. Okay, like anthropology is the study of mankind. So theos and anthropos means God and man, which that's why the definition, deity and human form, God and man. If I say God and man together, that one person, one entity is God, man, you would say automatically that's who? It's Christ. Christ is theanthropic. He is the God man. He is the hundred percent God. He's also hundred percent man. And I'm telling you that same term applies to someone else, not someone else, actually the same person. It applies to us. It applies to the church, not us as individuals, but us as collective, as the church, as the body of Christ. In the same way that Christ was the fullness of divinity, but he was in human form and he had weak humanity like flesh. So if you cut Christ, okay, if you cut him with a, with a knife, he bled. And if you knocked him down, he would scrape his knee. And, and when he didn't eat, he was hungry or thirsty. So he was the fullness of divinity, which is perfection, but in human form. That's what the church is. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all, but it doesn't look that way on the outside because it's me and you. And you and me, we're sinful and we got weakness. And sometimes we judge and sometimes we gossip and sometimes we lie. And there's all these problems. You're like, how can that be divinity? And I'm telling you, that's the mystery is that it's divinity in human form. That's what the Christ is. And that's who the church is as well. So my question that we're going to talk about here today is that what does that look like for us practically to be part of a theanthropic, the body of Christ? Okay, let me show you this verse here from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. Jesus says, I, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. What we are part of is something the gates of Hades cannot prevail against, verse 19. And he says to us, the church, I will give you the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying that to us, weak, sinful, mortal, again, all kinds of problems, but inside the church, the keys to the kingdom. <clears throat> the church is more than a nice activity we do when the weather's nice. The church is more than a place that we go to teach our kids morals. The church is more than a place that we come because we, we like the people and there's nice coffee and, and, and church is more than all that. Church is something greater. And the goal of this series, like I said, is to unpack what that is because you know the statement Spider-Man taught it to us, that with great, great power comes great 
responsibility, with a great honor to be part of this theanthropic, to be part of the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all, the keys of the kingdom. Like you look at the church and you say, wow, the thing which Christ himself said, I don't want a car, I don't want a house, I don't want a book, I don't want anything. I want to spend my blood to pay for what? For the church. And you say, you're a part of it and I'm a part of it. What responsibility, what is my part and my role in that? Being part of the church means I just show up once a month and I'm good to go. I'm part of the fullness of him who fills all in all. I show up once a month. Uh, I put my money, uh, end of year donation, okay? I get the tax receipt, okay? I'm good. Like I fulfilled my requirement. I put the end of the end of year, okay? Or you know what? It, it's a good Friday kind of a thing. It just means on good Friday, you suck it up. You don't eat for a few hours. You go through the, like is that, what does it mean to be part of the church? Or say it this way, what does it mean to be a healthy member of the church? How do I know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And I like the word healthy because healthy implies or shows us that there's a spectrum. Like healthy is not yes or no. I'm healthy or unhealthy. That's not health. Health, there's certain areas where you might be healthy in some areas, but unhealthy in others. So I may have great heart, but I may have weak lungs. So I'm not healthy. I need to work on that area. Say, but my heart is the best, but your lungs are weak. So you as a person, you're weak. And then there's some areas which are more important than others. So you say, okay, you know, my, my, my fingers are good and they're strong, but my pancreas really stinks. But your fingers can't make up for your pancreas. So you need to make sure that the pancreas is good, the fingers are good, the heart is good. You need to make sure that you are a healthy member of the body of Christ. So what we're going to do in this series is, you know, when you go to the doctor, you go for any appointment, what's the first thing they do when you go to the doctor? They check your vitals, right? There's like the vital signs, which I don't know, blood pressure, heart rate, the thing they stick in your ear. I don't know what, what, what the vitals are, okay? I'm sure there's, there, there's things like, okay, well, I want a flu shot. Okay, well, we can't do anything. With, we don't need to make sure of these things. We need to make sure first the blood pressure and the heart and that you're breathing and that you're you know, not constipated or whatever they push your, like we need to make sure of certain things before we do any of those things. Well, I'm not coming for those, but no matter what it is, we need to check these. These are the vital signs that before we do anything, we gotta check these. Well, did you know that the church has vital signs too? The church has vital signs. So you say, Father Anthony, I wanna talk about, okay, before we talk about whatever, let's review the vital signs. And if you're not good in the vital signs, then we can't really talk about these, like we need to fix the vital signs and we need to make sure that we're checking them regularly. Church's vital signs. We used to call them the pillars of the church, but I like the word vital signs better. There are five things. You see them up there on the screen. The vital signs of the church are community, worship, maturity, means spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, sacrifice, and witness. These are the five vital signs. And in case you're wondering where they come from, they come from the book of Acts chapter two, where it talked about the early church. These vital signs, at any point in time, I need to go to us as a church and me as an individual. It works at both levels. Us as a church, me as an individual. And I need to be able to take a snapshot at any point in time of your life as an individual, of us as a church, and say, where's community? Where's worship? Where's spiritual maturity? Where's sacrificing? And where's witnessing? And if at any point in time, our church is not doing any of these five, or me as an individual, not doing any of these five, I'm not healthy. You would agree with me. A church that, you know what? They worship okay, and the prayer is very strong, and they're very sacrificing, they're very giving, but nobody's friends with anybody. 
There's no community. Nobody likes anybody. Everybody comes in. Good day, sir. Good evening, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Nobody talks to anyone. Is that a healthy church? Okay, so let's go to the opposite. Church where everybody's best friends. And every day it's like a family reunion, okay? And everyone and the cousin and the uncle. But you know what? Nobody ever sacrifices anything for anyone. And nobody ever joins it. There's no witnessing. It's just like, here's our group. Here's our family. We don't want anybody to join. This is, we're happy with who we are. Is that a healthy church? We need them all to be working. And same with me as an individual. I need to go to you as an individual and say, show me where there's community in your life. Because if you're just doing life, if you're a lone ranger, that's not right. And show me where there's worship. Show me where you're growing spiritually. Show me how you're stronger today than you were a week ago. Show me how you're sacrificing and giving. It's not just all for me. And show me how you are witnessing and bringing Christ to others. And at any point in time, these are the vital signs. If we are not doing them as a church collectively or as an individual, then we are in trouble. So we need to measure these. Now, the question is, how do we measure them? Well, we came up with, based on these five vital signs, we came up with seven markers, seven markers, seven things that we put in place here in the church and we encourage everybody to do. And the goal of this series is we're going to go through those seven markers. We have five weeks, so we're going to kind of combine it at some point in time. Each week, we're going to look at one of the different markers. And this is the answer to the question, as I said earlier, I'm a member of STSA. What do you want from me? Well, this is what we want from you. We want you to do these seven things. And they're based on these five categories, these five vital signs. This is the way that you can measure. Okay, you can go home and take your blood pressure. You can do your heart rate. Okay, the constipation, you can figure that one out. You don't need a tool for that, okay? You can figure these things out at home. You need to be able to do the same thing spiritually. That spiritually, am I healthy? Sitting, I'll give you a sneak peek. Sitting in the chair is not a marker of success. Just sitting in the chair. It's more than that. We're gonna talk about seven things over the next five weeks. Ready for the first one? You can already probably guess what the first one's gonna be. It's related to the vital sign of community, and we spent all day talking about it so far, and for the last three weeks we've been talking about it, and that is one life group per year. One life group per year. One life group per year, this is the minimum. One life group per year. Now some of you are thinking, again with the life groups. Again with the life groups, we get it. You like the life groups, okay, we get it. And some of you are thinking to yourself, Father Anthony, I don't got time for life group. I'm busy. Or you're thinking to yourself, I got enough friends as it is. I don't need more friends. I don't need more commitments. Why do I need to, st- to attend life group? And let me tell you that if that's what you're thinking, you're thinking about it all wrong. Stick with me here and give me a chance. You give me the next 15, 20 minutes to see if I can convince you of why you're thinking about it in the wrong way. For those who don't know what a life group is, okay, just real quick, life groups are something that we do here at STSA to make our big church, like this is great, we love seeing so many people, we love the chairs being full, but this is our way of making a big church feel small. Life groups we do it two times per year, and during the time of Lent in the spring, and then during this time of the fall leading up to Thanksgiving. And what it is is a weekly time where you would get together in smaller groups, So groups of between like eight to 12 people, usually sometimes a little smaller, sometimes a little bit bigger, but you would meet weekly and you would discuss what we're talking about here in the well. So here I am talking about this right now. And then from this, uh, as soon as I finish here till next Saturday, there'll be groups meeting all over DC, Maryland, and Virginia, some online. Okay. So mostly in person. And they'll be discussing this topic. Some on Monday, some on Tuesday, some on Wednesdays, some that are kid friendly, some that are not kid friendly, some that are ladies, some that are couples, like whatever it may be, all kinds of different groups. It's a four-week commitment. They begin today. What I want to talk about is why are these important? This is not just about socializing. This is about more than that. Even though, truthfully, 
The socializing is an important aspect of it. And I know that there's many people here, many people have told me that when they first started coming to this church, they didn't know anyone. How many of us would say, I'm not going to do a show of hands, but how many of us would say that we became good friends with someone today and it started in a life group? Several people would say that. I actually want to say right now, how many people would say they became married because of someone they met in a life group? I know our priest over there would say that. Okay, Father Timothy and Sherry met in a life group, so if you're single... That's why we started with the marriage series, then we followed up with the life group. These things are not by accident, but that's not what it's just about. It's about more than that. Let me try to tell you what it's about. God did not design man to live in isolation. God did not design us to be lone rangers. God designed us to be part of a community, to be part of a body, and that body is his church. Think about it from the very beginning. Like I know we usually think the church began on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, But if I'm talking about the church as the body of Christ, the church goes even before that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were part of the church, but they didn't call it the same thing. Same thing with people like Elijah and Isaiah and Daniel, like the church, the family of God. And from the beginning, God said, I am here and I want to work with humanity. But he always worked with humanity in groups. He always worked with humanity in groups. In the beginning, it was the 12 tribes. And he worked through the 12 tribes. He had an individual. I'm not saying no, it wasn't individual with certain people, Abraham and Isaac and whatever it may be. But God, the majority of his work was through the groups. New Testament, the groups was the disciples. He worked with them as a group. He had individual connection with each, but he worked in groups. And then the church came. And then if you read in the book of Revelation, it talks about the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't talk about like each one in a corner of heaven by himself reading his Bible and just having a nice interaction with Jesus. It talks about thousands of thousands and 10,000 times 10,000s worshiping together, bowing together in group context. And that's why in the very, very, very beginning, the first thing that God said was bad on this earth was not good, was that it is not good for man to be alone. God's plan from the beginning was not isolation because God himself is not isolation. God himself is relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God, as we are made in his image, by ourselves, isolated is not the image of God. Connected to one another in a relationship is his image. So that's why I'm going to say it this way, is that God has a plan for my life at an individual level and also as part of his body. And here's the important part. I can't know one without the other. God has a plan for my life at an individual level but also as part of his body. And I can't know one without the other. Ask yourself, could Moses have known God's plan for his life if he's not part of the body? If Moses said, I don't want to deal with any people. God, tell me, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do, but I don't want to deal with any people. Well, like that's the plan is you do something with the people. Or St. Peter said, you know what? I'm going to build my church on you and you're the rock. You say, okay, but just don't have me deal with people because I am very busy. And that is people annoy me and I just, I just want to worship you between me and you. That's the plan. If you disconnect from the people, you disconnect from the plan. You disconnect from the God who gives the people for you to fulfill the plan. Like think of it like in a family. Anyone who's got more than one kid, you get this. Because I say to my son, I got a great plan for your life. And I want to do great. Oh, he's not that short. Okay, he's like, I don't know why. I say to my son, okay, I got a great plan for your life. And I got good stuff that I want to give you and pour you. He says, okay, but I don't want to do anything with my sister. So just keep her away from me and I'll do whatever you want. That's, like, that's the plan. The plan is to love your sister and to be there for her. And now that you have a license to give her rides because I don't want to do that anymore. So that's the plan. So you can't disconnect from the family 
and have the individual. Like either you got them both or you don't got them. Community is the context in which God gave us all the commandments. Think of, I would, I, I'm telling you, try, think of a commandment that doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. Try to think of a commandment, and I'm telling you, if I tell you, give me a commandment, 99% of the commands have to do with our interaction with one another. That's why even God said, when Jesus said, love God, okay, great, but let me tell you, that means love your neighbor as yourself. Did you know in the New Testament, there are 59 one another's, 59 one another's. Things that we're supposed to, that's the command, like that's God's plan for me. And I'll give you a sample. I'll give you a few right here. Encourage one another, accept one another, greet one another, be patient with one another, bear the burdens of one another, look out for the interests of one another, be like-minded towards one another, esteem others better than ourselves, live in harmony with one another, admonish one another, comfort one another, show hospitality to one another, and my favorite, do not complain against one another, especially your priest. That's in parentheses in the back end. You can't obey the commands of God without the one another's. So you say, okay, God, I'm going to do everything you want me to do, but none of the one another's. Then you're not going to do anything that I want you to do. Because all of his commands are to love one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another. Because being in community is part of the Christian mission and the lifestyle. And most important for us, the term I'm using is a part of a healthy lifestyle as a Christian. I told you before the vital signs came from the book of Acts. We'll read a passage from Acts chapter 2. You can see these vital signs of community in everything here, okay? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believe were together. I want you to contrast this with the way we live our lives today. Okay, the isolated, independent lives the way, the way they did. Now all who believe were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. They didn't just meet together on Sundays for two hours to pray together. They prayed together all throughout the week. They broke bread together. They ate together. They shared life together. They sacrificed for one another. They preached the gospel together. I don't know it. I wasn't there, but I bet you when their kids went through hard times, they were there for each other. I bet you when one was sick, they were all helping that one person. When one was rejoicing, they were all rejoicing with that one person. When someone knew someone who was lost, they all went after that person. Like they were together. They lived not in isolation. They lived in community. And I am sad to say that the world that we live in today is a far, far, far cry from this. But that's why being in life group is so important. That's why we push it so much. Not because we have to fulfill a quota, like, you know, we get more funds from, from the Pope if we get more people in life groups. We do it because we know that that's what we need. And sometimes, ah, I don't got time. No, but you need to make time. So I'm going to be annoying and I'm going to keep pestering you because I know it's good for you. Just like the doctor who keeps saying, no, you need to stop eating that. And leave me alone, doc. No, but it's good for you. I'm going to keep pestering you. And all these markers, not just going to be this one, but I'm starting with the community. We're going to pester you because we know that it's good for you. Because we know that God wants to work in your life, but it can't work outside of the community. I don't want to say can't. I shouldn't say can't because God can do whatever. But I want to say that God's design is to work in our lives when we are part of a community, part of a body, not in isolation. Now, the problem with the word community, I keep stressing on community, the problem is it's one of those 
buzzwords. You know the Christian buzzwords, right? The buzzwords that everyone just kind of uses and says, and it means different things, okay? It used to be community is an evolution of a word that when we were growing up, what was the word instead of community? It was fellowship, okay? And both of these words, we just, like, you know what it means. And everything was, okay, remember if you grew up in a church, it was this food, fellowship, and fun. Do you remember this? Okay, everything was food. Come for a day of food, fellowship, and fun. And you didn't know what that meant, okay? That could meant like we're going on a retreat. That can mean we're going ice skating. Okay, that mean we're going to watch the Super Bowl. Like food, fellowship, and fun. Like any event, food, fellowship, and fun. Well, community is kind of the same way. How do I know if I have community? If I go out to lunch with a group of people after church on a Sunday, 30 people, is that community? If I play basketball with a group of guys, is that community? If we play Xbox together, is that community? If we pray, do we have to pray together? Like what are the rules by which community exists? Community is one of those words that's hard to define, but here's, here's what I believe about it. Okay, first thing I believe is that you may not be able to define it, but if you're honest, you know when you have it and when you don't. You may not be able to define it, but you know when it's there. And if I had to try to define it, okay, I tried my best, and there's, there's one critical word that I think is the difference between socializing and acquaintances, which we got plenty of that, and actual community. I think it gets down to the word investment. And specifically, it's two things. Community is investing in others, and two, opening up so others can invest in me. It's about both of those. It's about an investment. That's why when someone comes to me and says, I'm too busy for life group. I don't need life group. I got too many things going on. You're looking at it wrong. Like that's the wrong spirit. You're not understanding what I'm saying. Because what I'm saying is it's not about what you need. Like there's nothing in Christianity that's about what I need, selfish. Okay, we just had a whole series on marriage and we talked, marriage has nothing to do with selfish because Christianity has nothing to do with selfish. It's not about what I don't need or I'm too busy. What it's about is, it's about you are a part of the body and number one, we need your investment and others need your investment. And it's not just about me. That's why think of it like, like, I'm, like sometimes we think of the word love and I'm gonna say the wrong definition of love that we think of love as a feeling. That's not real love, God is love. But I'm saying love as a feeling that we think of. Community is not the same as love as a feeling. Community is not the same as enjoyment. Community is not, not none of those things. Like, think about it. If you say love as a feeling, usually we think of it in a passive way. Like, for example, I can say, I love God. I can say, I love my wife. Then I could say, I love my team. I love my pizza. I love my shoes. And I use the same word. But what I'm really saying is in a passive way, those things bring me enjoyment. But this isn't about enjoyment. This is about investment. And that's why, like, do you invest the same in God? as your shoes? Do you invest the same in the pizza as your wife? I really hope not, okay? So, you'd be, so you probably wouldn't have a wife, okay? But it comes down to investment, and that's what community is all about. It's not I enjoy, and it's not I do this because it brings me uh, happiness, well, it would, would, which truthfully I think it will, but I'm saying regardless of that, it's about an investment, and it's about what am I doing, not just for myself. So it's investing in others, and then it's two opening up so that others can invest in me. Just showing up to a life group isn't the goal. The goal, again, isn't, it's not in the chairs. Like whatever you think it is, it's not, it's not in the chairs in the church, it's not in the chairs in the life group. It's about opening myself up. Like I say it this way, sign up, show up, open up. That's your three steps. 
If you haven't signed up, do that. If you did sign up, then show up. Some people sign up, don't show up. Once you've showed up, open up and give others a chance to invest in you and you invest in others. It's all about depth. And the opposite of depth is what we have today. Our culture today excels in superficiality. That's why when someone says, my calendar's full, I got all kinds of friends, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the friends where you can go and you can hang out, like we all have this. People that we can hang out with for years and never get past a superficial level. That's not what this is. It's not adding more of those. You can only talk about what someone does for a living so many times before it's like, enough, we get it. We know what you do, you know what I do. We need to get past that. That's what life groups is all about. Life groups were created and life groups are specifically, like the, the, the questions and the discussions are specifically designed to allow us to go past superficial into a level of depth. And in case you don't know what depth is, looks like, quality and quantity, they're not the same. Depth means that you can share stuff and you can ask for help. Depth means that you can share something that's slightly embarrassing without fear of judgment. Depth means that you become a better person because of it. That, that time with that, that person challenges you to be a better person. You challenge them, they challenge you. And the best definition that I got, I've told you this before, depth means someone out there that will not accept the answer fine to the question, how are you doing? There's gotta be somebody in your life that you come to them and say, I'm fine. This is no, let's talk. That doesn't accept fine. That's what life groups are all about. Life groups may be the first step in that for you. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, not four, that's a typo up there, 18, 24. It says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes people tell me, you know what? Those who have close friends, they're so lucky. Like that person's lucky they got close friends. That person's lucky. I tell you, no such thing as luck. You know the people who have close friends are the people who understand investment. It's the people who have invested in relationships. The people who have made the time and the, put in the effort to invest in others and then open themselves up to others invest in them. That's the one who's going to find the reliable friend who sticks closer than a brother. And those who choose not to invest in friendship? I heard a story recently tell you a very sad story. I heard a story about a person, a lady who was found dead in her apartment and she was dead for years and nobody knew about it because she had no relationships. I heard that story. I didn't get to the sad part yet. The sad part was I went to Google that and I found many examples of that. Not just one or two, like you think that would be a one-off. No, it's actually quite common. You'd be shocked. The saddest of them all, this one takes the cake, was a Croatian woman who was dead, I promise you, I'm just taking it from the Google, so it's gotta be true, I'm telling you what this said. She was dead for 42 years until somebody found out. 42 years. She was born in 1924, she died in 1966, they found her in 2008. I'm just gonna read exactly, quote, when the officers went there, they said it was like stepping into a place frozen in time. The cup she had been drinking tea from was still on the table next to the chair she had been sitting in and the house was full of things no one had seen for decades. Nothing had been disturbed for decades. Neighbor gave a quote, said following, quote, I still remember her. She was a quiet woman who kept to herself. Yeah, obviously. Okay. She was a quiet woman who kept to herself, but polite. We all thought she had just moved out to live with relatives. That's so sad. 
That's actually it's not sad. That's tragic. It's mortifying. But here's the thing. Catch, stick with me on this one. Just trust me on this one. Could there be a chance that this could be you? Not physically, but spiritually. I'm not worried about you physically because you got a million people that ask about you and that check on you and they, he didn't post it in days. Something's got to be wrong. She didn't show what she ate for breakfast. Call the police. So somebody will know when you die. But my question is, if you spiritually die, if you spiritually are on life support, if your marriage is going down the toilet, is there anyone there who's going to know, who's going to care, who's going to be like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in. I'm barging in. I'm breaking down the door. Your marriage is dying. Your kids, you're losing them. You're losing your spiritual health. Like you're dying. Is there anyone there who cares? Anyone there who you've invested in and that you've opened yourself up to, they invest in you. This is never going to happen to us physically. But my fear is that some of us are dying and there ain't anyone out there who's even praying, not even knocking the door, just praying for us. Good friendships aren't easy. They take time. They take effort. They take investment. They take energy. They take schedule. They take so much. But in the end, it's worth it. In the end, it's worth it. And it's not just my opinion. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, St. Paul seemed to think they were very important. He said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. St. Paul's saying here, the closer we get to the end, the more we need each other. The closer we get, the more we need each other. The more that life and, and, and culture and society and the world, the more, the more we need each other. And let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some who say, I'm too busy. I don't have time. Because the best thing that you can do for your health is connect to the body. Because God has a plan for us at an individual level, but also as part of his body, and we cannot know one without the other. Last thing I want to do, I want to leave you with a picture of what that looks like. Y'all see this. Okay, this is the piece of the holy bread that we use during the, the, the liturgy, okay, that we use for communion. This was not the one from communion. This was a snagged one from the side to use it for this example. What you have here in this piece of bread, you have many pieces of wheat or grain or flour or whatever. Let's just go with wheat, okay, because I don't want to go too far down the track. You have many pieces of wheat that are isolated all by themselves. And that one's, you know, growing over there and that one's over there and there's separate. Each one of them is separate. But then they come together and they unite together in the form of this piece of bread. And when they're united together, what happens? God says, okay, I'm going to come down and I'm going to dwell here and this is now my body. This is my body. But only when it's together. So if one little piece of wheat says, no, 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 I don't want to join there. I want to be by myself. You welcome me by yourself, but you're not part of the body. God is not working in that piece of wheat. God is working in this piece of wheat right here. And every piece of wheat right here that's part of this receives the fullness of him who fills all in all. Literally, because we say, what I'm saying about the church in a, in a spiritual, I'm saying about the, the body of Christ too. Like every little piece of wheat is the fullness of him who fills all in all. But if there's one rogue little piece of wheat and one rogue little guy who's like, I don't play well with others. Or imagine you. Okay, we come to church and we break this one piece into many little pieces and everyone partakes. And everyone who has a little piece has the fullness of him who fills all in all. But then someone says, you know what? I don't want to partake of this one. I'm going to bring my own. <laughs> That's not how it works. 
Say, well, I don't want to partake of that one because when this one, you had a piece, you had a piece, you had a piece, you had a piece. So you know what? If I'm united to here and you're united to here and you're united to here, then you know what? We're united with each other. And someone says, you know what? I don't want to be united with them. So I'm going to bring my own bread. Okay, you bring your own bread, but you ain't part of us. Go over there and do whatever you want with your bread. Say your hocus pocus. It ain't the body of Christ. The body of Christ is very clear. You with it, you in, or you're out. If you're in, fullness of him who fills all in all. Isolated, good luck to you. Wish you all the best. That's a perfect picture of us in the body of Christ. Because when we come together, when we come together, I hope you know, whether it's us as a church here, whether it's a small, a life group meeting after this, God is in our midst. And God is dwelling amongst us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17 says, For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for all partake of that one bread. God did not design the church to be an optional activity. God did not design it to be, hey, you know what, if you don't got plans on a Sunday, come on by to church. God didn't design it as just a place that you send your kids to teach them some nice morals. God designed this body as a place that we would unite with one another and then he would unite with us when we are together. And I say that on Sunday mornings, but I also say that as it said in the book of Acts, breaking bread from house to house as well as meeting together in the temple. So here we are meeting together on Sunday, but also house to house. We unite together, we join the body, God comes in our midst and he dwells there. So if you're not part of the body, well, I mean, I don't know how you can be part of the head if you're not part of the body. Say it that way. You can't, I don't know how you can be connected to the head if you're not connected to the body. Connected through the prayers of the church. Connected through the sacraments of the church. Connected through the seasons of the church, but also connected through the communal life of the church whenever we gather together. And my encouragement to every single person here, because I love you, because I want what's best for you. You can't know God's plan for yourself outside of the body. So I encourage you, sign up for a life group. Sign up, show up, open up. And after you do that, come back next week as we look at the second marker of what it means to be a healthy member of the church. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift that you've given to us here in the church, which you purchased with your own blood. Help us, Lord, to realize the value, the infinite value of being a member of your eternal family and to make the most of that and to live together, Lord, in community the way you designed us to live. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.